in chapter 1 and certain sections of the second chapter as well. First Samuel. Last week we tried to do a brief character study on the first woman of whom we find mention in the Bible, Eve. This evening we look at another woman of whom we read in the Old Testament scriptures, Hannah, the mother of Samuel. According to one writer, Hannah is the mother who personifies ideal motherhood. Most of us will be familiar with the story. We're told that Hannah was the favourite wife of a man called Elkanah. Elkanah belonged to the Levitical line and Elkanah was someone who loved God and yet his life was not altogether right with God. We can argue along these lines because he was a polygamist. He was married to more than one woman. And we discover that one of his wives, Penina, made life very difficult for Hannah. Her life was not an easy one, even within the confines of her own home. But her life is a very instructive life, and I believe a very inspirational life, and a life that is well worthy of our consideration this evening. <coughs> the name Hannah means gracious, or graciousness, and that quality of character is certainly to be seen in this woman as we read these opening chapters. I want this evening to look very briefly at five things about Hannah, or five things that we're told of here that I hope will be of some help to us. I want to look to begin with at her holiness, her sanctity. Then I want to look in the second place at her heart age her sorrow. Thirdly, at her hope, her supplication as she approaches God in prayer. Then I want to look at her honesty. She's a woman who means what she says and that's shown by the sacrifice that she's prepared to make. And finally, I just want to look or listen for a moment to her hallel, her, her song of praise which we have already read in chapter 2. So, we look at this character under, under these headings tonight. And the first thing that I want to mention is her, her sanctity or her, her holiness. Hannah appears to be a woman of unblemished character. A woman whose reputation seems to be untarnished. She went up, we read, year after year to the house of the Lord. She observed the religious ordinances of the day and she clearly had a relationship with God in her life as an ongoing reality. In the midst of her difficult and distressing domestic circumstances, this woman was clearly in an ongoing relationship with God. She knew who to turn to for grace to help her in her time of need. 
Of course Hannah felt her circumstances very, very keenly. We read here that she knew what it was to weep and to be offered food on account of the taunts and the sneers of Penina. She was clearly someone who was devoted to God, difficult and dire, though her home circumstances were. She was someone who lived, as it were, among thorns, but who comes across as being like a lily among thorns. She is someone who in that respect is a a picture of the Church of Christ in the world, living in a hostile environment, yet retaining and maintaining an ongoing relationship with God. She is an example to all of us who profess the name of Christ. She ought to be an inspiration to us to follow after holiness, to seek to be like Christ, She was a holy woman. She had this sanctified aura about her, even in the midst of all her distresses. And that's precisely what God is looking for in his church in the world. He wants us to resemble himself more and more, no matter how provoked we may be by those who are hostile both to us and to God. She wants us, God wants us to be like Hannah, no matter how misunderstood we may be, even by those who say that they belong to us. Even her own husband didn't understand her altogether. Even her own husband couldn't really understand why she was grieving so much. Hannah Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Even her own husband failed to understand her fully. Man of God, though he certainly was. And Eli in the temple failed to understand her as well. He thought she was drunk when in actual fact she was praying. And he rebuked her in his ignorance and said, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. And yet for all the opposition that she suffered at the hands of Penina, and for all that she was misunderstood by her husband and by Eli the priest, she still retained this this holiness that is, I believe, so so transparent in her character as we read about her. And that is surely what God requires of all who profess his name. No matter what opposition we may encounter, no matter how misunderstood we may be, no matter how much some may seek even to silence us and question us as to why we're the way we are, God wants us, no matter what our circumstances, to keep in communion with himself and to follow after holiness without which no one 
shall see the Lord. So we have Hannah's holiness, her sanctity. But we have something else. Hannah's heartache. Hannah's sorrow. Hannah had a husband who loved her. Hannah knew the Lord and loved him. And yet for all that, Hannah had her own share of heartache. Hannah was no stranger to sorrow. To be loved by God, and even to be loved by our fellow men, in no way leaves us immune to heartache and sorrow. And Hannah's sorrow, Hannah's heartache is so obvious as we read the story. She knew sorrow, she knew heartache for three reasons. Firstly, because she was childless. It was the ideal for every Jewish woman to have children. Among the Jewish women, the maternal instinct was strong. She believed, just the psalmist tells us in the psalm that we'll be singing as we bring the service to a close, that children are God's heritage. Among the Jews, it was a shame, it was even a disgrace for the woman to be fruitless. And she knew sorrow and heartache on account of that. In our day and in our time, the same sense of, of shame is not associated necessarily with being barren. And yet, for many, it's hard to take. And there are many who attempt in our day, in different ways, to address this and even to get round it. And sometimes we within the church may also imagine that because the Lord has not blessed us in temporal things, and some may even literally lament over barrenness as she lamented, yet there is the temptation for us too to be so caught up with sorrow on account of our physical circumstances that we forget that the scriptures have a lot to say concerning spiritual fruitfulness. And that the scriptures assert that although it is blessed for a person to be fruitful physically and literally, although that ought always to be seen as a blessing from God and something for which all whom the Lord has made fruitful ought to give thanks, Yet the scriptures remind us that to be spiritually fruitful is much more important and infinitely more glorifying and honouring to God. The Bible tells us that God wants his people to have spiritual children. He wants us to be spiritually fruitful. He wants us to add to our faith to add to our faith virtue, and to add to virtue knowledge, and to add to knowledge self-control or temperance, and to add to temperance patience, and to add to patience godliness, and to add to godliness brotherly kindness, and to add to brotherly kindness 
love. And the Bible says this, if these things abound in us, we shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What ought to concern us this evening is that we be spiritually productive, that the fruit of God's Spirit be seen in our lives. Hannah knew sorrow because literally she was barren. We ought to know even deeper sorrow if spiritually speaking our lives are barren as we live them out in this world. And that ought to be a source of great grief to so many of us that our lives appear to be barren in so many ways. That is something that we ought to grieve over much more than anything physical that may be our lot in providence. And our primary concern must be that we produce or have the fruit of the Spirit produced in our lives to the glory of God. And so she knew heartache because she was barren. And she knew heartache because she wasn't only barren, she was mocked for her barrenness. Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Her rival kept on, as it were, twisting the knife and kept on reminding her and kept on sneering and commenting and mocking pointing the finger and having a laugh even at Hannah's expense. And that obviously caused this woman of God great hearted. And the same is often true of Christ's church in the world. We may be the object of the mockery and of the ridicule and of the sneer and of the taunting of the world. The world may point the finger at us as Penina pointed the finger at her. And that itself, the fact that we are the laughingstock of our enemies, ought to cause great grief to all who truly know the Lord. And you know there may be times, there may be times in the Christian experience of some when they even envy the world because they don't have this in their lives because they don't know what it is to be mocked and sneered and provoked because they are the instigators of it those who may be the victims may on occasion even feel envious of them and it's only when the child of God sees hers and her own situation and the world's circumstances in the light of eternal realities that we realize what a privilege it is to suffer in this manner for the Lord's sake but it is something that has often been the lot of the child of God in the world to know heartache and sorrow because of the provocation of the world and so she knew heartache she knew sorrow because she was barren. She knew heartache and she knew sorrow because she was provoked by her enemy. And I believe she knew too because she comes across Dasana as being a very sensitive person. 
who knew what it was to feel her circumstances keenly. She knew what it was to weep. She knew what it was to be offered food. And these things are not necessarily signs of weakness in Hannah. They are rather indicative of how deeply she felt her circumstances as they were. And sometimes we too as the Lord's people can know sorrow because of our sensitivity to sin and to every attack that is made upon us in a sinful manner by the world and even perhaps by the church itself. Hannah felt bitterness of soul before the Lord and that added to her sorrow no end. And it may be that there are those here this evening who can follow Hannah at that level who knows something of what it means to be in bitterness of soul before the Lord. Well, the Bible doesn't say, woe to them that are in bitterness of soul before the Lord. The Bible doesn't say, woe to those who are sensitive, to those who feel things deeply before the Lord. But the Bible says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. To those that know nothing of what it means to be exercised or of what it means to be going through this sort of spiritual sorrow which Hannah went through. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the language of Jesus Christ on the Mount of Beatitudes. That's God's word tonight to anyone here who may, like Hannah, know sorrow of soul and know brokenness and even bitterness before the Lord. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Hannah's holiness, Hannah's heartache, Hannah's sanctity, Hannah's sorrow but we also have Hannah's hope so clearly seen in her supplication in the way she prays to God we read in verse 10 that in bitterness of soul Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord we read in verse 12 that she kept on praying to the Lord we read in verse 13 that Hannah was praying in her heart. We read in verse 15, Hannah say, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Her trials sent her to her Lord. Her problems led her to pour out her heart before him. She was driven by the enemy to the place of blessing. Though she was childless, she was not prayerless. Though she was barren, yet she believed. Though she knew pain, yet she prayed. She laid her needs before the Lord and she spoke to him in her soul. Her sorrow, as it were, burst its bonds as she approached the Lord in prayer. 
And yet even as she prayed, as I've mentioned already, she was misunderstood by the leader of the worship of the temple. She was misunderstood by Eli. As she prayed, she didn't use any theological language of which we're told. She didn't stand up and speak eloquently. <coughs> she didn't in any way make a show of her knowledge. All she did was pray. And she knew as she prayed that even if she be misunderstood by man, God would understand. And God would answer. She had things in her heart that she couldn't share with man, but she shared them with the Lord. <coughs> and therein lay her hope that the Lord could understand. And we may be like that. There may be times when we have things in our hearts that we can't share with man. We can't even share with our nearest and dearest. She couldn't share them with Elkanah, her husband. She couldn't share them with her priest. We might not be able to share them with members of our family. We might not be able to share them even within the church. But we can pour out our hearts before God knowing that the Spirit of God makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. That he knows our minds and our hearts and he knows what things we ought to pray for. And he prays in actual fact on our behalf. There are times when we know that man can't understand us and we may not even be able to understand ourselves at certain stages and in certain circumstances. But the Lord understands. The Lord knows. And the Lord wants us he wanted Hannah to open our hearts before him and one other thing before moving on a warning I believe is contained here to the church of God how quick we are to judge others by the way they pray by the language they use or whatever and how easy it is for us to miss understand and to be completely wrong in our judgments. Eli thought she was drunk. Eli told her to get rid of her wine bottles. We can be so judgmental and so off the mark in the way we view the spiritual exercises of others. Oh, this wasn't the done thing. But it was what God wanted her to do and she did it. And she did it because she had this hope because she poured out her heart in prayer that the one to whom she prayed would not only hear but understand and answer her petition. She believed that. And she said to him, she promised him as she prayed, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. You give me what I want and I promise I'll hand him over to you forever. I promise that. And I promise that he will be devoted to serving you all his days. Now sometimes we may make 
such statements rashly before the Lord. Lord, give me this and I promise I'll whatever it is we promise. I promise I'll, I'll be a good boy from now on. You only give me what I want. Give me what I want and I promise this, that and the next thing. How careful we ought to be. We can't bargain with God. And we should stop and think seriously before we make any promises of whatever kind to the Lord in prayer. Because the Lord will not hold us guiltless if we make promises to him that we have no intention of fulfilling. He hears our promises and he will call us to account for them. We should pray as the psalmist prayed that having made our vows he would help us each day to perform the same. Hannah promised but she didn't just pray and promise. She proved that she meant every word of it. Because when the Lord granted her her request she gave Samuel back to the Lord. I believe that she proves here that she has hope in her heart that the Lord has not only heard her prayer but is going to answer it. For all that Eli didn't understand nonetheless God used Eli to strengthen her hope. Through Eli, God said to her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And you know, verse 18, verse 18 to me proves the fact that she believed with all her heart that God had already answered her prayer. I think this 18th verse is one of the most marvelous testimonies of faith in the whole Bible. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then, listen to this, this woman who'd been weeping, this woman who'd been offered food, then she went her way and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. There was a visible change in her character and in her countenance. And in her conduct, I should have said really. Why was there this change in her conduct and in her countenance? Because she believed that the Lord was going to give her her heart's desire. She'd cast her tears on the Lord and she leaves her tears on the Lord. And then she carries on and has relations with her husband, which I believe is important in its own place. The fact that it's revealed shows that she was prepared to play her own part and to trust the Lord to do as she believed he would. She didn't go home and sit waiting for a miracle to happen. She went home and carried on her relationship with her husband as per usual. And the miracle happened. God did the extraordinary through the ordinary as he so often does. And so her hope is well founded as she prays and promises and proves that she believes that God is going to answer.
and her honesty before God I think is so obvious too in the sacrifice that she goes on to make in the course of time Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son she named him Samuel saying because I asked the Lord for him Samuel means one whom the Lord has given one for whom I asked and whom I have received asked of the Lord received from the Lord and she openly acknowledges that fact by naming him Samuel asked of the Lord and she doesn't go back on her promise she fulfills her promise having paid her vow having made the vow she went with her husband and family annually well she didn't go at that stage but she allowed them to go annually to fulfill the vow and as she waited she was waiting for the time when she would have to fulfill her vow a vow that was much more costly at a personal level than any vow that Elkanah and his family went up to fulfill annually they went up to offer the annual sacrifice year after year but she didn't go why not? because she was preparing herself for that moment when she would sacrifice as she had promised to do her own son to the Lord's service after the boy is weaned I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always and Elkanah, Elkanah said to her do what seems best to you stay here till then only may the Lord make good his word and then we read of how after the child was weaned and people argue as to the exact age that he, that he might have been she did as she had promised to do her honesty before the Lord is proved in that she does what she has said she will do she goes up to Shiloh to the house of the Lord and there she says to Eli I am the woman that you thought was drunk when I prayed here I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked for so now having made my vow I'm prepared to fulfill it I give him to the Lord for his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord there and we read later on we actually read it a lovely little touch of how as Samuel was ministering before the Lord each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the sacrifice annually and there she again annually proved her honesty and proved that she meant it when she said that, ha that Samuel was the Lord's for life and the Lord honoured her beyond her greatest expectations having given over her firstborn to the Lord did he then leave her barren for the rest of her days did he then leave her childless and again a plaything for Penina to make fun of what did the Lord do 
the Lord granted her five more children. And her relationship with Samuel was retained as well. The Lord gave her more family. Three sons and two daughters. So she had the joy of this new family given her by God and the joy of seeing Samuel growing up in the presence and in the service of the Lord. And what's the lesson for us? Very simple and straightforward. God honours those who will honour him. God expects us to fulfil our vows made before him. And if we do, he will never let us down. He will give us more instead of less. The more we are prepared to hand over all that is given us to himself, the more we'll receive from his hand. And I think there's another lesson here too for us. I think there's a reminder to us here, and we don't really have time to go into it tonight, of the gracious influence of this mother on her son. And it's often been the case that some of the greatest men in the church of God on the human level can trace their spiritual greatness back to our holy mother. John Wesley's mother is called the mother of Methodism. Augustine's mother prayed for his conversion long before it came about. And there have been many who, since the days of Hannah and Samuel, can testify to the influence of a godly parent. We have Timothy again in the New Testament scriptures. What about us? The Lord wants us to be honest before him. The Lord wants us, whatever promises we make, to fulfill them before him and to him. And the Lord will never let down anyone. Anyone who is prepared to give us all to the Lord will receive from the Lord much more, both in this life and in the life to come, everlasting life. There's no one says Jesus who has left father or mother or any other relation for my sake and the gospels who will not receive much more and in the life to come those everlasting blessings which are the portion of God's people. How honest are we in fulfilling our vows before the Lord? Are we prepared to sacrifice our all for the sake of the one who sacrificed his all for us? And finally, and just in a word, her hallelujah, her song of praise. It's recorded for us there in chapter 2. I don't have time to go into it. But in this song she expresses her gratitude to God. She seeks to ascribe all the glory and all the honour and all the praise to God. The joy of the Lord is her stead. It's a song that is in so many ways similar to Mary's Magnifica recorded for us in Luke chapter 1. The Lord is magnified and his people are strengthened in himself. Acknowledgement is made of his greatness and of his goodness and the gratitude of God's people is thereby expressed. All the people of God have had a new song put in their hearts and in their mouths by the Lord.
and he wants all his people to express in song of heart and with lip that new melody which he has given them as his own people he put a new song in my mouth out God to magnify the song of salvation is heard coming from Hannah's heart the song of salvation is heard coming from Mary's mouth is the song of salvation heard coming tonight by the Lord from your soul and from mine there's the story told of a woman who was prone to use the word hallelujah as she worshipped God in church only to be informed in one particular church that they didn't use such language in that place we don't say hallelujah here well every church of God if it is a true church of God we'll say hallelujah and we'll sing hallelujah because hallelujah means praise Jehovah praise the Lord and if you're a child of God and if I'm a child of God and if we're a congregation that belongs to God then we're asked to praise the Lord may we all do so in time and eternity for his glory's sake